Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned already in the announcements, but if you're just coming in, today in the church year, this church calendar that we follow, uh, is Holy Trinity Sunday, the day that we acknowledge the fact that we believe in a triune God. And again, those of you who have been with us for any length of time, some of you have it ingrained in your memories that Trinity Sunday is the day that we say this really, really long creed. And yes, it is, and we will as soon as I'm done. Uh, and, and so it's a good thing to be in God's house. And uh, there's in that flyer that you'll see with the Athanasian Creed, there's some history uh, printed on there about where this creed comes from and why we do confess it. But when we say that God is Trinity, well, let me, I, I don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, some of you are, are here in this church for the very first time. And so I don't want to make any assumptions that when I say God is Trinity, that you even know what that means, first of all. So let me just very clearly say this. The Christian church has always confessed that we believe in one God. Just one God, but three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's shown in this triangle diagram that there's one God in the middle, and if you follow the lines, uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Spirit, nor is the Father the Son. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit, uh, but they're all one God in three distinct persons. Does that clear things up for you, right? Wonderful, good, done, right? You know, when we, when we try too hard to explain the Trinity or to, to come to human grips with it, uh, we, we sometimes confuse ourselves. But let me just tell you, do not worry do not worry, this is not nonsense. It's not nonsense, it's just, it's just mysterious. Right? It's not nonsense, it's just mysterious. And, I, and I, it's very easy for us to confuse ourselves or others if we try too hard to explain it. So let me just say like this, God is far beyond what we can ever imagine. And that's a good thing, it makes him God and us not. God is far beyond what we can imagine, but he has revealed himself to us in a way that we can we can sort of understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in his revealing himself to us, in showing who he is, he didn't limit himself to a little earthly box that we can fully get our minds around. He's revealed us, himself to us in a way that we can kind of understand, but also in a way that keeps him separate and distinct. And so I just want to remind you as we begin today that Sometimes when we, when we try real hard to understand how God is Trinity, sometimes it feels like we, we push him farther away and we say, I can't understand who you are, I'm not even going to deal with you. When in reality, the fact that he is Trinity is for our benefit, and that's how he revealed himself to us. So if anything, God should actually be uh, more real for us, and we should be drawn closer into his presence by confessing he's a triune God. All right. So if you sense yourself pushing God farther away, trying to grasp things, uh, just take, a, take note of that and instead allow God to come closer to you and to reveal himself to you. So let me just say it again. God is... God is, in the Christian confession, one God, one God, just one God, but he reveals himself to us in three distinct ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In all of this, my goal today is to not confuse things, hopefully, 
I don't want to confuse things. What I want to do is instead, I want to stay very close to one biblical text with you today. And that's that lesson from Peter in Acts chapter 2 that was read for you. This Pentecost sermon of Peter. What I want to do today is actually, we're going to reread the whole thing. All right, we're going to reread the whole thing in three different sections. And what, the, the reason for doing this is, this is the very first Christian sermon. All right? This happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to Peter. The very first Christian sermon. And in that first Christian sermon, we will see how Peter and even the Old Testament prophets confessed faith in a triune God. So that's all I want to do today is reread this and I'm going to, I'm going to break it down for you in three different sections. But before we dive into what we already read, um, I want to jump to the end of Peter's sermon to see the result of this sermon. We didn't read this today. So if you were to keep reading in your Bible, and you got to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, here's how it wraps up. Here's verse 41. It says this, Those who received his, that's Peter's word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right. So on this very first day that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the good news of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, 3,000 people heard it, and were convinced, they were convinced of something, so much so that they were baptized and they joined the ranks of those who confessed faith in Jesus. So I, I want to show you this because I, wanna, I want you to be thinking, okay, what was so convincing in Peter's sermon to these people on this first day? That 3,000 people, how many people live in Houghton? Like five, six, seven, something like that? 3,000 people, boom, right? Just like that. What was so convincing to them? And let me just first say it like this. Peter demonstrates in his sermon that God is not this distant God out there somewhere waiting to just judge people. What we know from the scriptures and from the experience Peter had with Jesus is that God is a near God who comes to his people to save his people, to take on sin, to take on Satan, to take on death to die and then to rise victoriously. This is what Jesus did, and this is how Peter preached to them. But if you're anything like me, when uh, Mr. Shear was reading that lesson from Acts, um, when we read through that as uh, 21st century Americans, we, we read it and we go, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really get it. <laughs> okay, but if you were a Jewish person living in uh, that region in the first century, Peter strikes every chord, all right? So I want to I just open this up. We'll reread it in three different sections, and I'll point out to you what's going on here, all right? So let me just, let me show you here. This is first 20, verses 22 through 24. You can watch on the screen or uh, maybe take out your lesson insert so you can see the whole thing. But here it goes, verse 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. All right, so Peter begins this sermon. And again, if you were with us last week, um, this right now happened on the same day as what we celebrated last week, the Pentecost Day. Uh, where, where the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, Peter and the others, really, really powerfully, and they went into the streets and started proclaiming 
what they knew about Jesus. And so this is, this is right in line with that. So Peter, you can imagine, is in the streets of Jerusalem with crowds all around this place. So Peter begins his sermon by boldly claiming that Jesus is the one who was promised to come from a long, long time ago. And he reminds these people of the mighty works and wonders and signs that Jesus did. It was only 50 days ago that Jesus died and rose, all right? So just a month and a half ago in, this, in biblical time that Jesus was on the earth. And it was only 10 days ago that he ascended into heaven. So he was with them for 40 days after his resurrection. People saw Jesus before he died and after he rose. And these people who were there, you can imagine that all of them had at least heard of Jesus for one if not actually have been direct recipients of some of his mighty works. Perhaps some of the people who were there actually were, were there at the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe, I don't know. Perhaps some of the people there had, had heard about how Jesus healed a little girl, how he gave sight to a blind man, how he told a guy who couldn't walk to get up, and he walked. Some of these people who are here had heard about how he raised Lazarus from the dead. And all these people, they know that Jesus did these mighty works. And so Peter is telling them he did those mighty works, not by some evil spirit, but because he was the promised one that God knew from all of time. Right? And imagine this. Peter says, this is Jesus, the promised one. And then he makes this really bold claim. And he says, you crucified him and you killed him. Think about this. He is standing in the same streets where 50 days ago they had publicly beaten Jesus where they had publicly flogged him and mocked him and made him carry his cross. Some of these people may have been in the crowds shouting, crucify him, and watched him die. This is the same city. And Peter is the same guy who 50 days ago denied Jesus three times on the night he was arrested and who after his crucifixion, Peter went and hid in a room in Jerusalem because he was afraid of the Jews. Now it's just 50 days later and he's standing up in the street saying, you crucified him. You crucified him. You killed him. But God raised him. This Holy Spirit that came upon Peter obviously has emboldened him and convinced him and convicted him of the truth of who Jesus is, so much so that he doesn't even fear for his own life in these streets that crucify the prophets. The Holy Spirit emboldened him. Peter's sermon goes on, and he starts quoting the Old Testament, and this is kind of where we get lost sometimes as, uh, as uh, American readers. But this is what he says, verses 25 through 28. David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I not, may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make, full, make me full of gladness with your presence. All right, this is another big bold claim of Peter. Maybe not so much so for us as American readers, but for first century Jews, this is a bold claim. Peter is quoting a psalm, a psalm written by King David. 
King David had reigned as king in Jerusalem about a thousand years ago. A thousand years. And the Jews always thought that David was talking about himself when he said these words, that God would not abandon me to Hades or let my, let my soul see corruption. They thought David was the one, all right? They thought David was speaking about himself. But Peter is saying David wasn't talking about himself. He was prophesying a thousand years in advance about the Messiah. And Peter says to them, guys, of course David wasn't talking about himself. David is dead. He's still dead. You can go visit his grave. They know where it was at this time, right? But Jesus, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? He rose from the dead. Let me, let me keep going on because he explains what he means. This is the last section. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he, that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day, right? You can go see it. But being a prophet, David knew that God had sworn with him an oath that, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. And David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. This is a bold claim. And that, that Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. See, this Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses of. Now, now he is exalted at the right hand of God, and we have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that he's poured out on us, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing among us. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, that is, God said to my Lord Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then let the house of Israel. Let, I want you to know, therefore, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. All right, again, Peter's point is this. David did not rise from the dead. David is dead. He was a king a thousand years ago. He was an earthly man. He's dead. He's buried. You can go see his tomb. He was not talking about himself. But David was a prophet. All right? And this is where you got to know the Old Testament a little bit. Way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you can look it up for yourselves, God came to David and he said to David, David, a descendant of yours will come on this throne and his throne and his kingdom will last forever. Right? We know from history that Jesus actually comes from the lineage of David, and Jesus is the one who died and who rose and who ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come again. Jesus is the promised king who is sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting at the right hand of God until he comes again to take all evil away. All right. Then Peter finally says at the end of his sermon, finally, know this for certain, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. So what does this mean? Why are people convinced of this? It means that for one, Jesus is his Savior. To be the Christ means to be the promised Savior. So these people know, they've seen that Jesus can heal, but they're also hearing now about the, the forgiveness of their sins, that they can have that taken away. But he's also Lord. And not to, that, that means like king. He mean, it means in charge. And not just in charge of one nation here on earth, but Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is in charge. He rules and he reigns over, over everything. 3,000 people heard that message of Peter. They were baptized and then they believed in Jesus. Peter, in his sermon, you heard him mention God. You heard him mention the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You heard him mention Jesus, right? So right there, just in Peter's sermon, he's, he's talking about God in the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It just rolls off his tongue. 
as if everybody assumes that, that they know this, right? And everything in the Trinity culminates for us as humans in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just say, ask you, you know, what more do you want? <laughs> what more do you, do you want than, than this? It was convincing proof on that first Christian day for 3,000 people to believe, right? The, and they were convinced that Jesus, who was promised to come, that he died, that he rose, that he's going to come again. They were convinced of it. They believed it, right? What more do you and I need convincing proof of, right? What do we need more of? And Peter is clear that when Jesus comes again, he will take care of the problem of evil, and he'll take care of the problem of death. Now let's just talk about those two things just for a minute. He's going to take care of the problem of evil, and he's going to take care of the problem of death. Right? Is there more that you want in this life than to have evil stopped and to have death undone? Right? Just think about it. all the problems that you face, all the issues in this world. Right? If evil were stopped and death were no more, wouldn't that be nice? Right? This is the promise of Jesus, to take care of the problem of evil and to take care of the problem of death. Left in human hands, here's what will happen. Left in human hands, right? Humans, the, humans do not have the power to fix both of those problems. There is no one, no one who can do this. No president, no king, no democracy, no society, no community, no family. None can take care of this problem of evil and death. Left in human hands, here's what will happen. Either humans will create more evil, will create more evil by trying to stop death, or we will kill more people trying to stop evil. Yes? This is how humanity works. If we try to take care of both these problems on our own, if we try to take care of evil, we will probably cause more death, and if we try to stop death, we will probably cause more evil. Only Jesus can take care of both of these things. And this is the promise. This is Peter's first Christian sermon. This is my sermon to you today. So friends, I just, I don't want you to get bogged down in this issue of God being Trinity. Let him be who he is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter preached about it. I preach about it to you today. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's your creator. He's your savior. He's your helper. He's your comforter. He's with you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's coming back for you. And when he comes back, evil will be ended and death will be no more. What more do you want? This all comes only through Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. We go in his name, in his grace, and his peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.